Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what we conceived? Either way, we got what we needed when the sun shone down on the Garden of Eden. Back for the 82nd, count at 82, uh, Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition. I want to welcome our listeners at the Progressive Radio Network on Thursday, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. This conversation is being recorded, so we forswear all the forswear words. Um, uh, we have, a, as usual, a really packed session dealing with uh, uh, the emergency in our elections. Uh, we're we're going to start with a couple of victories. We like to start with victories. Uh, often they're environmental, and we've got one on the California situation that Ron Leonard and Tatanka Bricker are going to tell us about. Uh, we have some stuff in Arizona that we've won uh, with the great John Brakey uh, reporting in on <laughs> an amazing victory at the hands of right-wing Republicans uh, defeating Trump Republicans. <laughs> what, what could be better? Uh, then we're going to have a major session with the great Jennifer Roberts from the Carter Center on gerrymandering and uh, what is happening, which is really, really interesting, and especially in states like Ohio, Alabama, and North Carolina. Uh, we're going to jump in uh, with Hal Ginsburg from Our Revolution. We're going to talk about uh, the attempt to keep uh, uh, treasonous um, uh, players uh, from this, uh, January 6th to be out of office using the, the 14th Amendment, which was designed specifically to do just that. And then we're going to go into the depths of, uh, uh, and, uh, with an open-ended conversation with Joel Siegel and others on, uh, uh, hopefully, Lynn Bernstein, if you join, she joins us, on uh, the death threats and the outright fascist assault uh, on our democratic process. Those of the Hebrew persuasion uh, are particularly uh, aware of this, but it's something that uh, Joel is going to be devoting serious time to. We do plan a major press conference, and that, that will be the open-ended uh, tail end of this beginning conversation, which is uh, jam-packed. So um, uh, part of our um, ethos here at the Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition is to stress our victories. And we always like to start with some victories. And we have two really huge victories uh, before we get with Jennifer Roberts on gerrymandering. Uh, Ron Leonard and Tatanka Bricker, can you tell us what's happening with the attempt to kill solar in California? Well, yeah, well, I'll lead it off and then I'll turn it over to Ron. Basically, we have a postponement of the California Public Utilities Commission, which gives us time to organize. Go ahead, Ron. So the point being, this is a opportunity and it's postponed. So it started out uh, Thursday, one twelve, where the uh, commission was going to vote on this proposal, NEM3, which is basically a tax that it's so reactive that it basically kills the opportunity of putting solar on your house in California. Then they decided they were going to have uh, another one uh, on 210 uh, the, uh, and 127. All of these proposed voting opportunities were postponed. We assume these, uh, these votes were postponed because of uh, political pressure, uh, pressure on the governor, pressure on the legislature, pressure, pressure, pressure. And uh, that is the message that I think we're trying to give here. Uh, Elon Musk started out the ball rolling. Uh, Mark Ruffalo, uh, one of the, uh, the uh, Hollywood people, got on the ball. Arnold Schwarzenegger had a uh, Times uh, op-ed warning that California is about to take a big step backwards and uh, Gavin Newsom must have listened because things slowed down rapidly. But yes, uh, and those of us in the safe energy business know that a, a postponement um, uh, is a great thing, especially on this attempt to kill solar. And Wendy, you in, in, in Florida are well aware of the battle there. So uh, Tatanka and, and Ron, you guys are leading the charge. You have a Zoom call, I think, tomorrow night to continue this discussion. And, um, you know, just like election protection, uh, the parallel fight to get rid of nuclear power and to install solar is absolutely essential. So what time tomorrow? Are you doing your Zoom call tomorrow night, guys? And what time Seven, would it be? 7 p.m. Pacific time. 
10 o'clock New York time. <laughs> and, and all times in between. So thank you both, you guys. This is a very big deal. Uh, I will be writing about it this coming week. And, uh, and uh, uh, Port Florida, Wendy, uh, you're kind of hanging out there. So we, we need to uh, win this in Florida as well. But if we win it in California, if we can save rooftop solar in California, it's a, a, a huge deal. And uh, my prediction is we're going to win this one. So uh, let's see what happens, okay? Anything so else take a look in chat. Oh, yeah, it's in the chat. You're, you're, uh, uh, the, the ties to the Zoom call are in the chat. I won't be there. I'm traveling to scenic New Jersey where my uh, daytime temperature will drop about 50 degrees. But, um, um, you know, next week I'll be with you guys. Thank you so much. Okay, now we have also won a major one in Arizona on election protection. John Brakey, uh, you're there. The, uh, the Republicans, the non-Trump Republicans in the legislature, have turned back a very serious piece of anti-democratic legislation. You want to tell us about that? Uh, yeah, I'd be glad to. Is that uh, Rusty Bowers, who is the House Speaker, uh, immediately when they got the bill, and this is the bill that was planning on going ahead and uh, being able to cancel an election. He just removed it. And I'll, and I'll say this right now, is that there are, uh, Arizona has a very minor majority in the House and Senate. And that makes it very difficult if they just lose one Republican in the House or Senate, they cannot pass anything. And there are several uh, really principled Republicans in our House and Senate who've had enough. You know, one of them is Karen Fan, who's the president of the Senate. You know, uh, uh, they've had enough. And, there, and there's 105 bills that have been proposed. And, uh, and, and most of them will never see daylight, just like this bill that Rusty Bowers killed, like I said, who's a speaker. And so they're, they're not going to make it too far. Florida is where I'm really concerned with, with bad legislation because they have a major uh, majority of really pretty incredible numbers that it's just not one vote. They would have to lose in the Senate, uh, the House, maybe 15 votes, or in the House Senate, they would have to lose six votes. So, John. Uh, John, John, we're going to lose uh, Mayor Jennifer Roberts. Oh, okay, so, so John, thank you for that. We'll come back okay. to that later. Um, One quick thing, Harvey, 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 can you tell him to post the names of the people so that we can support their con uh, campaign? Yes, John, will you post their names? In particular, this guy, Rusty, is it Rusty Bowers? Um, yeah, I will. The, I definitely will. He, he's the head of the, uh, the, the state house. In, uh, and he, he, he voted for Trump. And now he's trying to kill, he's, he's responsible for killing all these anti-democracy bills. Really, really fascinating. Okay, and we're now going to move 75 people on the call. We're going to thank you for that, John. We're going to move to the great Jennifer Roberts, who's now at the Carter Center, a two-term mayor of Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, without further ado, we know your time is limited, Jennifer. Can you tell us what's going on with gerrymandering? Absolutely. I can give you a, an update that just happened in North Carolina on Friday. Um, if you, as you know, you mentioned North Carolina is one of the three states that have had their maps sent back to the literal drawing board. Uh, the first court that um, this lawsuit went to ruled three to zero that even though it was an extreme partisan gerrymander, they didn't think that it, they had the power to do anything. Well, the state Supreme Court in a partisan four to three vote ruled the maps were unconstitutional and they didn't base it on race. Um, they are racially gerrymandered as well, um, but that will be a federal issue. The state court said, and I'm reading this because it's uh, very interesting. They said the maps violated beyond a reasonable doubt the state's guarantees of free speech, free assembly, free elections and equal protection under the law. The General <laughs> Assembly violates the North Carolina Constitution when it deprives a voter of his or her right to substantially equal voting power on the basis of partisan affiliation, a political map that diminishes or dilutes a voter's opportunity to aggregate with like-minded voters unconstitutionally infringes on that voter's fundamental right to vote. 
So it's very interesting that they did a broad perspective on what does democracy mean. And democracy means that voters pick their elected officials, not the other way around. The elected officials don't get to pick their voters. Um, the, the challenge here is they did not give a bright line as to what a fair map would look like. They said it would contain some combination of these metrics to demonstrate a significant likelihood that the districting plan will give the voters of all political parties substantially equal opportunity to elect candidates. Um, what's interesting is as we look at our country, um, there was an article in the New York Times. Um, we used to have um, 10 years ago, we had 73 competitive congressional seats. Now we're projected to have about 40 out of 435. Um, Republicans are in charge of drawing more than twice as many districts as Democrats this go around. Uh, and so we, you know, we are, are truly challenged in our democracy. And this is one of the things that Carter Center is looking at. Um, people feel disconnected from voting. They feel that they don't have a say because they've been crammed into a district um, where they don't really have a voice because they're um, outnumbered by the other party in ways that they'll never be able to elect someone that, they, that has their values. Um, and, uh, you know, they've they've looked at those states that have independent commissions and the results are varied, but they are better than the ones that are partisan. Um, so our General Assembly has until, just, until February the 8th to draw new maps. Um, I talked to one of our Democratic legislators, and she said that the Republicans aren't even talking to the Democrats in the General Assembly. They're going back behind their closed doors to try again. Now, a quick history of our balance in North Carolina. We used to have 13 congressional districts. Now we have 14. We gained one. Um, but in those 13, when the Democrats were in charge, it was a 7-6 split. We are a very purple state. We actually have about 400,000 more Democrats registered than Republicans. But it used to be 7-6. After the Republicans took the General Assembly, um, it went to 10-3, Republican to Democrat. They lost a lawsuit in 2019. So the 2020 elections, we got eight to five. We gained two Congress, two Democratic seats. The current maps before they were overturned would have ended up with an 11-3 split Republican to Democrat, even though we have a Democratic governor. And again, we're a very purple state. Uh, so this is this is the tale of gerrymandering and why. It hits at the heart of our democracy because it dissuades people from voting. It's a form of voter suppression. Uh, it disconnects people from their elected officials. Uh, if you are in, you know, an R plus 13 state, why do you need to respond to any Democrats who are asking about policy? I've heard this over and over again. Um, when you looked at that horrible law that we had, HB2, of the people who voted for that, 90% of them had either run uncontested because they were in perfectly safe seats or they had won by double digits. Again, perfectly safe seats. Why do you need to listen to your constituents? This is the challenge with gerrymandering and democracy. Um, I'm not going to have time to listen to Joel talk about violence, but I want to add two things um, because the Carter Center in its work on supporting our democracy and supporting nonviolent transfer of power is looking at Georgia, Florida, North Carolina, and Arizona um, as initial states to that are battleground states. Um, in Georgia today, it was either today or yesterday, um, one of the county commissioners had his law office firebombed. Huh. Um, Fulton County. Fulton County is also, by the way, where the DA is, they're prosecuting, looking at Trump and the whole Secretary of State um, boondoggle there. Um, the, the DA there has asked for FBI protection. Um, the last thing in terms of violence and voting, um, we did a forum in Charlotte on Sunday at my church. One of the people who's supposed to speak, um, an African-American young man who works with an organization called You Can Vote, was stopped by police on the way to this voting education event uh, wearing a suit um, he was handcuffed. He, oh three, three white police officers took him to the station and said he had to stay overnight unless he paid $615 in cash on the spot. 
These are the kind of things that are happening in our democracy. And these are the kinds of things that we all need to to speak up about, um, to talk so that so that people know what's happening and to speak out against them. So I will continue uh, to stay in touch with this terrific group of folks. Um, Any of you who are in Florida, Georgia, North Carolina or Arizona, I can put you in touch with the Carter Center state lead. Um, We are trying to get a Republican and a Democrat in each of our states. And um, uh, we look forward to connecting with any folks who want to help us get the message out about supporting democracy, speaking out against violence, holding candidates and campaigns to a code of ethics, nonviolent, democratic behavior, because it's it's gotten serious, folks. Thanks. Well, Jennifer, we want to have you back with us next week. This is going to be a continuing discussion if you've got time. I want to ask you real quickly on gerrymandering. Is it possible that the Carter Center could help set up a, um, a network where we draw up independent bipartisan districts on our own in all the key states so that when the, when the Republicans or the Democrats, as they're doing in, Ohio, in New York, come up with gerrymandered maps, we, we're not... Uh, arguing in the abstract, we have an actual map that we can present. What does it, for example, cost to do a a neutral map for a state? We have computer programs. We have people who know how to do this. Could we have a GREEP Carter Center independent project to present a good nonpartisan map for every state? Uh, I can certainly ask. I can tell you right now where they're because they're working with Princeton University on a, a, um, an initiative called the Bridging Bridging Divides Initiative. And what they're looking at right now is um, mobilization and incidents of violence, because the greatest concern is that many, um, you know, they're, they're extremists on both sides, but they're a lot more on the right, um, that many of them are taking to violence to intimidate voters, to destroy democratic processes, and to even overtake elections, as we all saw on January 6th. So we know they have data on those, on on the violent incidents, but I can ask um, about the the drawing the maps. Well, the reason I bring it up, it was done in Ohio. We passed a resolution in Ohio. I think I still lived in Ohio when the vote was to have a a decent nonpartisan or bipartisan Jerry um, um, district drawing. And people thought it was going to be really cool. And the Republicans who have a supermajority gerrymandered in both houses of the legislature came in and completely sabotaged it, came up with a worse map than we had before. And it went to the Ohio Supreme Court. And lo and behold, there's a four to three Republican majority on the Ohio Supreme Court. One of the Republicans jumped ship and killed the gerrymandered map. So the situation in Ohio is really up for grabs now. And a group step forward, I, can't, I think it's common cause. Steve, you can correct me. Step forward, and they presented a, non, a bipartisan map. And it's really had a huge impact. So I'm wondering if we can set up a national project for people to draw up bipartisan maps totally independent of the government. So that we have, because hey, it would have, have a lot of- I'm about to speak. I was going to give you the shout out from about 80 leaders. Okay, Joel, you're on the phone there. Joel, Joel, mute yourself. Yeah. Common cause does great work. Absolutely. Well, if you'll think Harvey, about this, talk about maybe bringing but... up at the Carter Center that we could we could have a national project of independent map making mm-hmm. that would set a standard, um, not only in the Republican states but also in New York, um, and, and and compare so that there's something to compare, and then we're not just arguing um, in the abstract. It's just a thought. I will ask. It, it was done in Ohio yep. with really big impact. And there's, Harvey, you know, there's, I, go ahead. Who is going to jump in? Oh, Susan Pinchon. I just want to quickly, while Jennifer's on the phone, there's something really scary happening in Florida with gerrymandering. And I'm just in a couple sentences, if you don't mind. Oh, um, yes. Ron DeSantis, ha- and I'm not at my desk, so I don't have the exact particulars, but Ron DeSantis, governor, of course, has asked for the Florida Supreme Court to review a couple gerrymandered districts that he's presenting. And nobody could figure out why he would ask for a review ahead of time because they're so clearly uh, severely gerrymandered. 
And then what they think he's doing is that the Florida Supreme Court will say, no, this is not okay. And then he's going to appeal it to the, to the uh, Supreme Court of the United States. Um, so I just wanted to mention that because. Yeah, I've heard that as well, that many of these legislatures want to appeal to the Supreme Court and get a ruling. So, Susan, you're absolutely right. Jennifer, what's in the off week? We'll get you in touch with the people in Ohio from Common Cause. If anyone else um, is working, we know that they worked on some districts in Central California. Tatanka has been in touch with the people there, Tatanka, and with uh, Dolores Huerta, where there was some success. You want to real quickly tell Jennifer? Thank you for that, Susan, by the way. Do you want to tell Jennifer real quickly what's going on? Yeah, Lori Passanti, they were very active uh, in in the census taking in the Central Valley. And then uh, they were active in each uh, part of the Central Valley in in arguing for fair maps. And then they went to the state of Sacramento and they ahead of time drew up the four maps that they thought would be fair. And they had no idea, but they were adopted without change. And it resulted in McCarthy getting all the Republicans he wanted and the rest of the areas basically having a more uh, equitable distribution. It gives uh, uh, not just liberals, but progressives a chance to win three out of four in the Central Valley. It's historic. But the main thing is they went ahead, even though they were confronted by Proud Boys and other violent groups threatening them, and they got the maps in. And then when it came out, they had persuaded and won. Wow. So we should have a subcommittee on the, on this. And I think a, a very powerful way to go would be to independently map out the states and present this and so and present the public with what they should look like and then if they persist with these gerrymandered uh, uh, states we can show how the election should have turned out once it's over Jennifer but, I can know, get you I can get you Lori's uh, information if you're interested that'd right, be so great coming that'd be great I'll okay. put network you with Tataka with Lori with the people in Ohio Anybody else working on gerrymandering per se? Let's follow this up. And if we can have another conversation next, next week, Jennifer. We'd I'll, put, I'll put my email in the chat before I go. Okay, thanks. All right, thank you so much. Anything else, Jennifer? We, no, that's it. I'm, I'm, right. I think it's terrific. We're doing terrific work. And we just got can to keep- I, Can I ask one quick follow-up for you, Jennifer, please? Yes, go ahead, Arthur. And and journalist, and go ahead, uh, but not, not on the record here. But the question is, Eric Holder had an organization that was very dedicated to gerrymandering, was raising money, was getting visible. And to what degree is that still active and functioning? And because he was sort of the getting a lot of visibility, I'm glad the Carter Center is doing all this. Uh, I hope everyone will learn more and, you know, subscribe to your newsletters. But what what's happening with what Holder did and what you guys are doing? If yeah, absolutely. And um, his his organization is called All on the Line. And um, they absolutely were very active in North Carolina and several other battleground states. Um, they are they tried to raise awareness about how bad gerrymandering can be and how it takes away your voice. They got people to draw their own maps about their communities. They didn't want to separate like they separated Asheville here in North Carolina and split it between two districts because it's a very, very blue city. And they made it impossible for them to ever vote for a Democrat. Um, it's Madison Cawthorn's part, part of the district, by the way. Uh, so um, All on the Line is still active. Uh, Eric Holder is still active, writing op-eds um, and communication with people on the ground. Their team is still on the ground here. They were part of the lawsuit. They're part of the, um, you know, being on talk shows and raising awareness, trying to get people to understand because gerrymandering is really kind of wonky. <laughs> so like the average rural farmer in North Carolina doesn't, you know, it does, doesn't connect with it. Uh, so they're very busy working at the grassroots level still. Um, and uh, we, we'll see. I mean, uh, those, you know, those stories of people who have been disenfranchised, who haven't been able to vote for years for someone that they, you know, align with, um, some of those stories could have impact on the courts. So we'll just see. I, I, I do think it's, um, it's raised the awareness in North Carolina so that more people um, are putting pressure on the General Assembly. We'll see what well, happens. It would be interesting. It would be, it would be very powerful. I believe this is obviously in one form or another to go to the Supreme Court. If we could present to the Supreme Court 50 states 
with districts that are drawn drawn the way they should be drawn, you know, uh, and and let the let the Supreme Court say no, we're going to adopt these completely gerrymandered districts and we're going to throw out the ones that actually are nonpartisan. I'm sure we, there are Republicans, uh, especially in places like Arizona, that we could recruit that would participate in a, a um, you know a national redistricting project that was bipartisan and um, and and made sense. Just something to think about. So we'll work on this through the week. Uh, anybody, uh, uh, please sign up, up with Mike. If Mike, if you can keep track of all this, we'll bring in PDA. And uh, maybe it'll be a, a project that comes to fruition, uh, just like the Georgia way. Thank you so much, Jennifer Roberts. Always great to have you on. And, Thanks uh, much. We'll give you a full report on the, on the report on violence in our election. Thank you. Yeah, I'll try to listen to the recording. Okay, we appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Mayor Roberts. All right. We'll see you Thank next week. Take care. Okay. Uh, I've got two hands, and then we want to go. Um, uh, someone on the call has been working on um, uh, the, the 14th Amendment aspect to people who are running for office uh, who were at January 6th, uh, which is in violation of the 14th Amendment. Uh, real quickly, I want to, Alex Williams, you had a hand, and then Jerry Toby. Alex yeah. Williams? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead real quick, please. Okay. Um, first, I just want to mention about um, there's a kind of a dilemma in New York where this gerrymandering thing is happening, too, but it's in favor of the Democrats. And um, part of it is wanting to be fair, but also we need to pick up Democratic seats. So what do you do about that? <laughs> and then well, we we're a nonpartisan call. Right. We want, we want fair seats. So, you know, we're opposed to gerrymandering, you know, on either side. That's what I was thinking. But my bigger my bigger thing is the solution is expanding the size of the House of Representatives. I've been looking into that and that would be a great it was kind of like the silver bullet. It, it's it only would take Congress to do it. Well, you need the Senate too. you don't have to have a constitutional amendment. Because up until 1929, I think, or 1920s, it was increased with the population, but they've stopped doing it. And so we've frozen in time with the 435 representatives. If we had more representatives, we would have smaller districts, people would be in closer touch to the people, and it'd be less need for, less ability to gerrymand. And nobody would lose states, lose votes. No states would lose votes, or very little. Well, that's interesting. Uh, I, I like that idea. Um, uh, they'd have to have smaller seats. You'd yeah. have to have a skinnier uh, people in the, in the house in order to fit into the building. But you know, they could rebuild. They could, they could expand it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's 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 not a point I've heard raised, and it's a very interesting one. Thank you for that, Alex. Appreciate that. Is there anything else you wanted to put in? Okay, that's good. Uh, Jerry, Toby. Jerry, and then we're going to move on. We're going to talk about the movement to uh, enforce the 14th Amendment on, um, on traders like uh, um, Madison Cawthorn. Uh, Jerry Toby, I put in uh, to the chat two links to uh, redistricting map apps and one from 538 about how maps are currently proposed. Oh, OK. Very good. Thank you for that. Much appreciated. Okay, we have um, um, 88 people on the call. Uh, is Hal Ginsburg on the call? Hal Ginsburg, I don't see you listed. Mike, you said Hal Ginsburg was a come on if you have awareness of him. Also, yeah. we have a group that's talking about um, um, enforcing the 14th Amendment on people who are running for office like Madison, Cost Madison Cawthorn, who committed treason. Is anybody on uh, to talk about that? Did we have someone in particular? I think we were supposed to schedule someone who's going to talk specifically about that movement. Uh, do, uh, is that person on? I'm not seeing okay, that. I will explain it. I see Marilyn Bernstein has joined us. Uh, Lynn, um, uh, you're in South Carolina, right? Marilyn Bernstein? Uh, Marilyn, if you Marilyn, Lynn, Lynn Bernstein? No, that's uh, if you're on mute, that would be great. I, no, I'm not the one you know. I'm in Massachusetts. Okay, there's you're the other one, Bernstein. No, okay, very good. Bernstein, too much too many of us. <laughs> no, there's not enough of you. We, we need more. 
of, of Marilyn Bernstein's haiku. Uh, so um, let's talk about this. The 14th Amendment was passed uh, uh, after the Civil War. It's the longest amendment. It was meant to guarantee the rights of free black people in the South, but it was very it is a very complicated piece of legislation, and it's actually been used to guarantee corporate personhood. Because somewhere in the 1880s, a clerk of the U.S. Supreme Court decided that the justices of the Supreme Court, loosely uh, defined, uh, had discussed a corporate case, it was a railroad case, and had referred to corporations as persons. Uh, this dates back to the 1880s. It's the root of the citizen, horrible Citizens United decision. But there is language in the 14th Amendment that ba basically says, if you have rebelled against the government of the United States of America, specifically, they were talking about the Confederacy, but uh, the, the language uh, carries over to today, and there is now a movement um, in North Carolina in particular uh, 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 referring to Madison Cawthorn, who uh, Jennifer talked about, is one of the people involved in one of the gerrymandered districts. And um, uh, he is technically under the 14th Amendment, should be ineligible for elected office uh, as, uh, as uh, under the 14th Amendment. So there is a movement going on to uh, um, disqualify him for running from Congress, and that should apply should apply to anyone who participated in the uh, January 6th uh, rebellion, um, insurrection, from running for office. So I wanted to update you on that. I don't know if anybody on the call is specifically working on that, but it is something that we need to keep uh, tabs on, okay? Uh, did anyone want to comment on that? And then we'll move ahead. Okay, uh, we also, uh, uh, Mike has how? Ginsburg joined us from our revolution. I'm still chasing him around. Okay, so uh, Hal Ginsburg is also uh, a part of a movement from our our revolution to deal with uh, uh, various issues that we were going to discuss today. If he turns up, uh, uh, we will uh, get to him okay. as well. I now want to go to Joel Siegel. Uh, Joel, are you with us? Our my co-convener here, Joel Siegel. Hello, hello, Harvey. <laughs> All right, Joel, so you have um, and people, this is expected to be a pretty lively debate. You have uh, a discussion, and we were hoping for Lynn Bernstein to come on from North Carolina. She's been hesitant to talk. Uh, she has experienced direct um, uh, intimidation and threats. John Brakey knows uh, a bit about it, and we'll talk to John about this as well. Certainly going on in Arizona, certainly in uh, other states around the country, not only in terms of election boards, but also school boards. And um, uh, Joel, you, you, oh, here, Hal Ginsburg has just joined us, um, uh, but sure. we're going to jump in now and we'll get to Hal uh, at, at the tail end. So I'm sure Hal has com uh, conversations done this as well. Joel, uh, give us um, uh, some insights on your thinking. You want to do a national press conference. We have Eileen Proctor on the line, our great PR person who uh, is going to be setting up a national press conference with you on this. Uh, let's have your thoughts uh, on the rise of fascism and all these violent threats that are happening. And people, I'm sure you're going to want to join in. Thank you, Slago. I want to welcome also uh, Francis Nagoy, originally from Congo, now living here in America, who is the deputy campaign director of the Bring America Home Now movement to end homelessness. But he's also very, very involved nationally on getting young people to be involved in voter suppression. So welcome, Brother Francis. Um, yes, I, as one quick point. What I'm realizing is an, if we're going to be successful in addressing, reforming, gerrymandering, eliminating the Electoral College, address voter suppression laws, um, we can't do anything substantive unless we professionalize this movement. So you've had people like John Brakey and, and, and many others who've been literally the, you, you need to smile there, Brakey, <laughs> who've been the pioneers of this movement, Harvey Wasserman, one of the pioneers of this movement. But the reason why the far right wing Republicans are winning is they out 
organized, outfunded, and outthought us. It was mainly Karl Rove, who was the evil genius behind gerrymandering. And that's something that we really, at some point, are going to have to talk about, and which leads me to my next point. Uh, this weekend, I'm watching MSNBC Newsflash. Republican Party released a statement that the January 6th insurrection was a legitimate act of freedom of expression. <laughs> now, Brother Sluggo and all my colleagues on here, in my lifetime, I have never seen anything like this, but the Republican Party basically stated we are now white nationalists. We are authoritarians. We don't care about democracy. And we're going to go ahead and change history um, by saying that it never existed. And then we're going to repeat the lie over and over again until people believe it. What are the two lies? Biden lost. Election was stolen. Second lie. January 6th was a, a, a time of love camaraderie, almost like Woodstock. Um, in order to deal with legitimized fascism and legitimized Jim Crow, we, it's gone mainstream. When hate goes mainstream, that's when Nazi regimes and fascist regimes, you know, whether it was Pinochet in Chile or, you know, um, any, you know, Stalin, I can go on and on. And it was because people were quiet and people allowed it to happen. As a Jewish person, I am telling you, I lost half my family in the Holocaust. As a Jewish person, we grow up, Mike Hirsch, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we grow up with a consciousness that it could happen here. It is happening here. And that's fascism, white nationalism and Nazism, they passed a law in Texas where if you teach Holocaust studies, you must give the opposing view. My dead family, don't, they don't have an opposing view because there is no opposing view. Republican Party is now promulgating policies based on white nationalist Nazism. Dangerous. Voter suppression laws being passed. Dangerous. January 6th, being now a, a celebratory event by the entire Republican Party. No, no, no. We're going to have a press conference. It'll be in a few weeks. We are going to bring in interfaith leaders, celebrities, dignitaries, activists, elected officials, and we're going to call for that the um, Biden administration, that Congress, that state legislators, that civil society get up, get active, fight back, and speak out because it's too quiet. And I'm worried. We're going to do these press conferences probably once a month until we start seeing action. I'll close by saying the following. I used to work on the House Judiciary Committee for many, many years, 13 years, for the chair, John Conyers. What I found in Congress most of the time was if they were not pressured by the grassroots, they would not do anything bold or progressive. And Mike knows all this because he used to see me being a little guerrilla warfare fighter up there trying to get stuff done when people didn't want it to happen. We can't be quiet. That's all I'm going to say. Um, I hope there will be a law that will be introduced in the Judiciary Committee, a bill that outlaws the Klan, outlaws the Nazi Party, outlaws white nationalists. Because do you think we would allow, would ISIS be allowed to organize and have meetings? No. We cannot allow the tyranny of the minority of the majority because they don't have the right to speak freely. The First Amendment doesn't guarantee everyone speech. There's limitations. Thank you. I'm a little emotional. Well, you may not be emotional enough that people want to jump in and, and second what you got to say here. I mean, to me, it's incredibly powerful and important. Eileen Proctor is on the line. She's going to be organizing these press conferences. We have 88 people with us. The question is, what do we do about this? We, we do have many, many, many reports now of, of death threats, of, of being leveled at members of school boards and uh, uh, of, of people who are on election boards. And we have this, now we have this wave of, they're not technically 
book burnings, but that's what they really are. We're having books removed from libraries, including a very important book about the Holocaust called Mouse, M-A-U-S, which I read 30 years ago, which is an incredibly powerful book. But the um, without standing around outside with bonfires, the, uh, the right wing in this country is doing what the Nazis did to written materials. And there's a very important quote. No one should ever forget this quote. People who begin by burning books end by burning people. And that's exactly what's going on now uh, as someone who's coming out with a history of the United States that's bound to be inflammatory. Um, you know, I, I'm very well aware in the first person of what's going on. Having written, having published 20 books, I would bet you that 18 or 19 would not pass muster, at least. I wrote a, I wrote a poem about the passing of my parents. That might get through, except it's a Buddhist book. So, um, you know, Joel's 100% right. Uh, we're right in the middle of it now. And as an election protection organization or, or sounding board or network, this is what we need to deal with. Uh, Justin LeBlanc, uh, you always have uh, interesting comments. Uh, go right ahead and then Robert Sullivan. Sure. Following up on your rhetoric, I'll say that uh, a famous philosopher once said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And I'd add that corollary, he who wants to burn books should start by burning his own <laughs> instead of someone else's. Uh, but specifically here, actually, the way to go after these kinds of things isn't necessarily directly to block meetings. It's to go after tax evaders, kind of like we did for Al Capone back in the day. And uh, the particular uh, area that this seems to be a big deal right now is in the stock market and in the cryptocurrencies, even these fake trading cards called NFTs, people are actually using those to deduct their business expenses to avoid taxes by using fake digital currencies as art. Right. Well, um, you know, for these, these, all these uh, fundamentalist Christians, it seems like the number one, the number one sin uh, in modern evangelical Christianity is paying taxes, but that's another story. Um, but this this wave of violence, uh, I, you know, we're we're seeing. I heard on NPR an absolutely terrifying report from a guy on a school board um, who was the deciding vote in a controversial issue, and he was completely flooded with death threats to him, to his family. I mean, this is not acceptable. This is not how a democratic society works. Uh, Robert Sullivan. Thank you for that, Justin. Robert Sullivan. I'll go real, real quick. I just wanted to say, um, back uh, on the eve of the 2020 election, this group had 2020 vision, and we held a press conference where we warned that the Trump Republicans were not going to accept uh, a loss at the polls. They were going to do something in retaliation if they lost. And uh, we were right about that. We thought it would be immediately after the results were announced. But they were a little bit more clever than that, and they waited till January 6th. So we were a little bit of ahead of our time, but we're going to um, put together a series of press conferences to sound the alarm because uh, nobody else is doing it. No, and we need people who are being threatened to come forward. That's a big, that's a big ask, uh, but uh, we are hearing from some of them. Uh, Robert Sullivan and then Joel again and then Ruth Strauss. Well, I'm going to refer to that coming forward. People like myself who have sat in the background were shaken when we see what our neighbors are doing. And I myself have decided this year has got to be the time for me to come out to speak, even to people, even to my family. I can't let it go any longer. And I think if all of us do that, if all of us speak out as we must, we may be able to make a difference. And where are you, Robert? You're in uh, New Orleans, right? Okay. Oh, thank you so much for that. Much appreciated. Uh, Joel Siegel and then Ruth Strauss. Serendipitous. I, I was going to say that we have to have interfaith leaders speaking out. They've been conspicuously very silent. Well, why, why is that? Because let's say you live in the South, you're a minister or even a rabbi, and you have congregants who 
maybe Trump Republicans, they're afraid often to speak out because they're afraid they're going to lose their job. Robert, am I correct? Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. So we have to find the interfaith leaders who don't have anything to worry about to to join us in our press conference. So, Robert, I wanted to thank you. I hope we'll be able to touch base so maybe we can talk about who those, who those faith leaders might be. Last point I wanted to make is, Justin, I think there's going to have to be something similar to what the FBI did. It, like you saw the movie Mississippi Burning, where the FBI infiltrated uh, KKK cells and used a very sophisticated strategy to start busting up some of those cells before the violence actually happened. Sadly, I, I, I don't... I can't really trust the Congress because I don't know what's about to happen to the Congress, but I guarantee you what probably is going to happen is if it goes Republican, they're not going to support the kind of things that we're talking about. What we got to do now is work on both levels, have the FBI funded at the highest levels to target hate groups. Number two, pass legislation to ban their gatherings, their uh, you know, their, their promulgation of uh, hate that they espouse on Facebook, Twitter, and every other account um, before it's too late. And I, I really wish that in Germany, I wish they had outlawed the Nazi party and kept Hitler in jail for a longer period of time. I think it was a big mistake. You can't always worry about the ACLU and freedom of speech and what's the backlash. We're fighting domestic terrorism. You cannot do that without passing laws to do so. Thank you. Thank you, Joel. Uh, Ruth Strauss and then uh, John Brakey. Ruth and then John. Ruth, you're, you're from Alabama. Uh, oh, yeah. And do I have some hot news, hot off the press. Um, the effing Supreme Court, and that effing stands for foreboding. Um, anyway, the effing Supreme Court has just overturned the court decision in Alabama which was very surprising, which said that they had to redraw the districts so that they would be fair to black voters in uh, Alabama. And I was amazed that that Alabama court did that, but they did it. And now the Supreme Court has overturned it. So they are showing their true colors once again. So the Alabama, so the Supreme U.S. Supreme Court has said that the Alabama Supreme Court cannot throw out a gerrymandered map? Ruth, is that, Correct. Is that the understanding? Correct. Correct. And that is just brand new, you know, Washington Post alert. Wow. That's terrifying. That is really bad news. Horrifying. Okay. Thank you for that. Thank, well, uh, thank you for, for keeping us updated. Um, uh, John Brakey, uh, then Myla, and then Tatanka. Thank you, Harvey. You know, I, I just want to quickly go into the fact that we do have to get involved. We do have to talk to our families who are Republicans. Uh, you know, that was the technique that I used very heavily, waiting until after the uh, January 6th event. In fact, I waited until after Trump had left office before I engaged. And then I started doing Republican and right wing shows and built a relationship with the uh, broadcaster. And, and I was able to convert a lot of people. But I kept my talk very, very focused. I would not talk about anything other than elections, because if we went into other things, it would get nasty. And I want to say this is that, you know, uh, during in the audit, I was assaulted twice there. OK, uh, by the mega people. Uh, who are really just uh, gonzo, okay? But I was able to convert a lot of people by just having dialogue. Because when we don't have that dialogue, we allow grifters to get in there who are hustlers and convert these people to think. So it is important to engage. And sometimes engaging, I mean, when I did, you couldn't believe that I was getting incredible hate mail from Democrats because I went in. And it was the best decision I made going in and engaging and then working with all different people in the media and helping things happen. So the key is engaging. And right now, because of the 
the uh, virus. You know, we're not seeing people like we used to. We've gone more tribal. And that is also part of the problem that we're not mixing around the coffee pot at work or uh, or whatever at a bar or yeah, it's a whatever it takes to engage with people. Anyway, I, I've got to say that the, the Arizona Republicans uh, have been really interesting. This guy, Rusty Bowers, uh, as I say, there was a piece on him in The New York Times. People should look at. He was a Goldwater Republican. He supported Trump in 2020. And now he's killing the Trump attempt to destroy the elections in Arizona. Very, very interesting. And John, uh, you know, you're a better man than I am. You have a lot more patience than I do to be able to talk to people. But good for you, man. More power to you. Thank well, you. Just to add to it, it's so bizarre that if the right says left, the left will say right. In Florida, we're working with Democrats. They're my plaintiffs. In Arizona, uh, I will be working with Democrats right now, I'm working with Republicans. We have four bills going in, right? Three already established, a fourth one to get us a ballot library to make elections transparent, trackable and publicly verified. It looks like all the three of the first three bills, the fourth one with the ballot library was launched today, which today is the cutoff in Arizona for any new bills. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, Myla, then Tatanka. Hey, thank you, Harvey. Uh, I just wanted to comment on this uh, bleeding heart liberal uh, catch and release policy with with fascists that somehow we can let them go. And then um, just like um, other fascists have returned, that happened in in uh, Spain as well. Franco was arrested and then he was allowed to leave and then he came back and uh, took over. So um, just wanted to emphasize that point. I, I gotta tell you, I was so um, disturbed by the, the news that Ruth just uh, broke here on, on the um, grassroots Thanks, election protection call that I, for a second there, I lost my train of thought. It was Joel who had been talking about that, but a uh, catch and release fascist, I think, is a, a very bad idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we should all think about uh, what would have happened to the January 6th um, infiltration of the Capitol if those people had been black. Just think about that for a minute. You know, how many of them would have gotten past the first step uh, to Tonka and then Hal Ginsburg? Uh, in response to uh, Joel starting this topic and everybody's response to that, I just want to see this continued. We need to spark a, a mass nonviolent national movement in the face of this. And that means using all the nonviolent tools at our disposal. So I don't, you know, if, if we were talking months ago when Biden came in, we had so many other expectations about the restoration of civil rights bills about, you know, appointing a larger Supreme Court that would, you know, reflect our values, et cetera, which is desperately needed. But in the face of the present situation and the the Republican Party totally, you know, captured by big oil and is now constitutes a essentially a terrorist party in our country, we need to uh, we, we need to get our heads together around this and just and raising the issue this time won't do it. So I just am saying, Harvey, I'd love to have this be on the agenda next week as well. Yes, absolutely. And, and uh, Eileen Proctor is on. She's going to be setting up the press conference to talk. Of course, we would want you to with, with the uh, Romero Institute to work with Joel on the on the press conference with Joel and I, Eileen. And, you know, what's frightening to me among the many, is the obvious comatose response of the Democratic Party. I mean, where are they? It's, you know, uh, is there a there there? Uh, this was <coughs> a big problem in Germany. When Hitler rose, there was a weak opposition and that, you know, the Weimar Democrats, and they just rolled over and went to sleep, just like Obama did in 2010 when, um, when the Koch brothers choreographed by Karl Rove, um, staged the, uh, um, the, the Red Map coup and took over the state legislatures in the country and um, through gerrymandering. And Obama got up and in his inimitable fashion said, well, we took a real shellacking, and that's the last we heard. 
And Democrats have done absolutely nothing. Uh, even in the last 12 years, they're still yelling at Ralph Nader from 2000, for God's sakes. So, you know, this is a serious problem. We're not getting any help from the Democratic Party. And um, uh, it's very, very, I don't have to tell you, it's disturbing. So, Tataka, I hope you'll hook up with Joel and Eileen and become a major part uh, of this effort, uh, along with everybody else. Hal Ginsburg, you're new. Um, you've been brought in by Mike Hurst. We look forward to talking to you. Hal? Thank you so much. And I do want to thank Mike, Mike Hirsch for inviting me to this event. Uh, and I also want to just say that at our revolution, we greatly value our relationship with PDA. We have worked closely over the years with the Progressive Democrats of America, and it has been, I believe, a mutually uh, rewarding relationship and also one that has, I th hope, has led to some benefits for some of the folks that we've reached out to. So uh, so I first want to say that. Second, I do want to point out or just let folks know if they don't already that we are working closely at Our Revolution with an organization called Free Speech for People. It is a nonprofit law firm that is fighting for justice. And we are uh, working with them to keep the insurrectionists off the ballot uh, pursuant to the U.S. Constitution. If you swear an oath to office and then you engage in insurrection, rebellion against the United States government, or you give aid and comfort to our government, our countries, our nation's enemies, then you are uh, banned uh, from holding office. And that is at a state or a federal level because the oath that local officials swear to is also to the U.S. government, uh, is to the U.S. Constitution. So they violated that. And we're working, um, especially in, uh, we actually had a, a, a rally this morning um, in Los Angeles. And we're going to be in Florida, Georgia, Maryland. If you want to join us, I put some links in the chat or just reach out to me, either through Mike or just Hal at OurRevolution.com. Uh, so we're very excited about this, and there's been a, a very positive response. Uh, before I, I give up the mic, since I've got your attention for just a moment, I want to commend, I believe, John Brakey for what he said. Uh, very important to talk to folks, also to listen. The Republican Party is definitely our enemy, and its leadership is incredibly problematic. But their voters are folks, some of whom we can reach. And in fact, John has said he has reached them. There is so much injustice. There is so much unfairness. And many Republican voters are victims of that as well. And we have to recognize that our party, if we're Democrats, has often not stood up for those poor, struggling and working class voters. We've got it. If the Democrat Party does it, then we will be looking at uh, fascism because people are not going to vote for a party that doesn't appeal to their worst instincts, but doesn't also appeal to their best instincts. And sadly, I think that's where we are right now with the Democrats. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening and well, hopefully um, for I your wanna, support. I want to keep you a minute, Hal, if you don't mind. Um, um, can you explain to us in a little more detail the role of the 14th Amendment and, and your legal grounds for opposing the candidacies of people like uh, Madison Cawthorn, uh, what specifically are you arguing in terms of their uh, right or lack thereof to hold elected office in this country? All right, so let me just quickly, I'm gonna call up the section that we're talking about. It's the 14th Amendment, section three of the constitution. So I didn't have it at my disposal, but, um, I'll just read it. It's brief. No person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector president or vice president or hold any office, civil or military under the U.S. or any state who haven't having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or officer of the United States or any state legislature or executive or judicial officer of any state. So basically anybody who is in elective office or elected office or who had previously been in elected office and swore to support the Constitution. Any such person who engages in insurrection or rebellion against the U.S. or who gives aid or comfort to the enemies uh, is banned, may not serve 
um, as a federal or state uh, in, in federal or state office. I mean, I don't know how clear that was. Let me post it because I don't want to go on and on about it. And board no, but we need but, to. We need to have clarification on this. This is a big deal. And of course, it goes right to the top. Just listening to it, you say, well, that's Donald Trump. Yes. But, so so you are asserting um, with and I'm assuming you have constitutional lawyers. You are assuming that from Donald Trump down to Madison Cawthorn down to, you know, whatever MAGA nutcase went into the Congress on that day, that they are legally disqualified from holding office under the Constitution of the United States. Is that what you're asserting? Well, if that MAGA nutcase had been uh, had sworn an oath to uphold the U.S. Constitution, yes. If not, if they were uh, simply a citizen who had never previously been elected, then the 14th Amendment does not apply. It only applies to people who either were serving in elected office at the time of the insurrection and participated in it, or had previously served in elected office and were no longer at the time. But somebody who was never elected would not be barred under the 14th Amendment. Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what we conceived? Either way, we got what we needed when the sun shone down on the Garden of Eden. 